You're listening to the Ultimate Road Trip Podcast, sponsored by the Classic Motor Hub. Welcome back to the third season of the podcast. We've been on a bit of an extended New Year break, but throughout 2022, we're going to be bringing you more cars, destinations, passengers and tunes that make up each ultimate road trip with, as ever, a huge range of guests. And this week, I'm joined by someone who was described in a BBC documentary a few years ago as very futuristic, very retro and very cool. A man who designs, well, everything from a car to a space plane, luggage, shoes, timepieces, taps, tables, chairs, restaurants, airport lounges, a surfboard and a super yacht. Mark Newson has been described as one of the most influential designers of his generation. And last year during lockdown, we chatted over Zoom for this week's Ultimate Road Trip podcast. Born and raised in Sydney, Mark's first solo exhibition at 23 came a year or so before he created his iconic Lockheed Lounge, a riveted aluminium chaise long. Around 10 were made in total, but such is the demand, it has set four world record prices. Most recently, one was sold for $3.7 million in 2015, then a record for a work by a living designer. And his pieces accounts for almost 25% of the total contemporary design market. He's worked with brands including Louis Vuitton, Riva, Ford, Dom Perignon and Smeg, and he's also held senior positions at Qantas and also Apple since his first involvement in the design of the Apple Watch. Last year, along with his friend Sir Johnny Ive, Mark was signed up by Exor, Ferrari's holding company, to collaborate on future projects. You'll find his pieces in the permanent collections of museums around the world, including the Museum of Modern Art in New York, the V&A in London and the Pompidou in Paris, and in 2012 he was awarded the CBE. When he's not designing things, Mark's other love is cars, and he's not one for keeping his collection locked away. He likes to race, exhibits, and generally get out there in his varied and eclectic machines. But he's not one for modern supercars. His interest is firmly in the classics category, from a Ferrari 857S, which he drove in the 2019 Mille Miglia, to a Lancia Stratos, which won the Cartier Stile Lux competition at last year's Goodwood Festival of Speed. And I have to say, I wasn't surprised by the win. I was reporting from the festival last year and I kept on being drawn back to the Cartier lawn to have another gawp at his immaculate example of that iconic rally car. So to the road trip. What's the destination for a man who's worked in all corners of the globe? And what's the car for someone who owns incredibly rare and historic vehicles? Well, let's find out on this week's Ultimate Road Trip podcast. And it's great to welcome Mark Newson to the Ultimate Road Trip podcast. Thanks for joining me, Mark, and your time today. You're uh, currently locked down still in the Cotswolds, if I'm uh, right in understanding. Absolutely, yes. I'm, uh, I'm in the heart of the Cotswolds and have been locked down here for the duration and uh, looks like I might stay. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? Well, it's, it's been such a strange few months, hasn't it, going in and out of lockdown. But as I ask everybody I'm uh, interviewing for the Ultimate Road Trip, uh, I ask everybody whether it's changed their work routine particularly. And you've said in the past in an interview that you're always working like many creative people and you don't disassociate work with pleasure. So um, presumably you've had even more time to think of new designs over the past few months whilst we've been in lockdown. Uh, yes, absolutely. I uh, I haven't experienced much, much difference, in fact, uh, working 
uh, remotely or working from the countryside, which is not where I normally work from. Uh, but I must say, I like it. I like it very much. It's been one of the few sort of upsides to, to this this whole ordeal. Um, not least because I get to work out of my 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 makeshift studio, which is right next to my workshop and garage. So I'm next to all of my beloved cars, <laughs> or not all of them, but some of them. Right, which obviously we'll come back to in a, in a second, and we'll we'll get on to the road trip, the five questions of the road trip. But uh, as I said in my little piece just before uh, speaking to you, you've been at obviously the forefront of design arts for many years. You're best known for the incredible Lockheed Lounge, which uh, you designed and made when you were 25 years old, and of course, as I said, setting an auction house record uh, for a living designer a few years ago. And you are so prolific and varied in your designs, as I, as I again intimated in, in my piece, the organ chair, the restaurants, the that incredible nickel surfboard, the Kelvin 40 plane, uh, and the space plane. When I was obviously thinking about the ultimate road trip, I was thinking of your automotive design cues, because I've read when you were young, that's when your love of automotive started. You put together soapbox cars in your parents' garage. Yes, yes. I, I uh, for, for a chunk of my childhood, I grew up with my grandparents. Uh, my mother was, uh, was divorced and she was, uh, she was single. So uh, my grandfather had a wonderfully equipped workshop, which I think is where I developed a sort of, you know, workshop uh, um, lust. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up making these kinds of soapbox. Uh, um, we used to call them billy carts in Australia. And basically, yeah. you literally just roll down a hill in them until you sort of, uh, until you crashed. Uh, and that was, that was lots of fun. But I, I grew up in an environment with lots of old cars. Um, uh, especially back then, of course, but, yeah. but you know, pretty much all of the all of my early cars were were old sort of rust buckets, but quite fun things. But since then, of course, your design inspiration has been post-war Italian racing cars and boats, and we'll mention uh, the incredible Aquariva a little bit uh, in a little while. But you know, when it comes to automotive inspiration uh, and creating your incredible furniture, the organ chair of, of credit inspired by the uh, Italian post-war cars. And you've employed classic car craftsmen to create your designs. And you've you've been involved, obviously, in a lot of automotive design concepts, like your Tashin book on the Ferrari. You based the case on the engine block of that classic V12 and that's incredible sculptured stand with the manifold pipes. And just before I come to what you're going to choose for else from road trip, you've designed a car, of course, the Ford Concept 021C. What was the inspiration for that? It's got suicide doors, the single spoke wheel from which reminds me of a Citroen. But uh, were you kind of looking for something really simple like Isagonis with a Mini and Giacosa with a Fiat Cinquecento? You were looking for simplicity, which I can imagine is quite tricky in the design world. It, it was very. Uh, it was a very tricky project. I was brought on uh, <clears throat> to execute that project, and it was very much a concept at the time. In in about 1998, the thing was completed in 2000, uh, and I was I was I was brought on board at Ford by a guy called Jay Mays, who was the then design director. He'd only just taken the job, and the the, the brief, if you would call it that, was to design a a, a concept car. But something, and, and none of us really knew, um, you know, specifically what that entailed. But but one really interesting aspect of the project was that I was, um, I think Jay was trying to, sort of, you know, protect himself by by sending me down to 
Karotseria uh, Gia, which right. still existed in Turin, in the middle of the city of Turin. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, sadly, but that was, that was owned by Ford actually for some time. And I got basically to go and live there for about nine months for the duration of this, of this project in, in the, the historical Karotseria. So yeah. I guess it's safe to say I was very heavily influenced by what was, what was going on there. But beyond that, my, my idea, you know, I, my intention was not to sort of reinvent the wheel, you know, because I didn't come from um, an, a design automotive background. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to design something very, very simple. So I, I set about, um, you know, I sort of identified what's referred to as sort of three box shape, which is the kind of the thing you imagine a child might draw when asked to draw a car. So I used that as my, my sort of canvas, really. And then my, my job became very much about the details and, and sort of joining the dots. So I wanted to create a canvas for myself, knowing that I could, you know, knock myself out literally for years, figuring out all of the details, because I guess ultimately um, – this project was about one person designing everything. And that's something that really doesn't happen very much in the automotive world, certainly these days. You know, you'll get many, many, many different people working on different aspects of a vehicle. Um, and that often leads to a lack of, of coherence, at least in my mind it does. No, sure. But a beautiful vehicle. It won the best concept of the Tokyo show I read back in 99. But it's quite a juxtaposition between that uh, and your love of classic cars. I've seen that you've taken part in the Mille Miglia in a Ferrari 875S. So modern cars or classic cars, if you're going to collect them, you're, you're very much in the classic camp, I'm, I'm gleaning. I am absolutely 110% in the classic car camp. And in fact, the older I get, the, the older my sort of tastes get. So I was very much sort of post-Second World War, you know, particularly 50s, even 60s and perhaps 70s, yeah. um, uh, you know, mostly Italian, but also also English. But now I have a number of pre-war cars that I absolutely adore, um, including, a, a, you know, a, 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 a couple of Bugattis. So I don't know if I can really go too much beyond that, sort of earlier than that in, in terms <laughs> of time. I, I think I've kind of hit the limit there. Although I did buy an electric vehicle called an Auto Red Bug, which was designed in 1922. It's an American thing. It was one of the first electric cars ever made. Oh, wow. So that's, uh, again, and, uh, and what an amazing comeback they're, they're having. And the, the future, obviously, is electric, as we know. Um, let's get to the ultimate road trip, the car. And it's not an easy question, but uh, what is your car you're going to pick for your ultimate road trip, the make, the model, and the colour, Mark? It, it's a really tough call between two cars. Um, that I own. One would be uh, a Bugatti Type 59, which is uh, a completely bizarre and iconic vehicle, a, a Grand Prix car from, from, from the late uh, 20s. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other would be uh, an Hispano Suiza, um, also from, from the mid 20s, which is completely the opposite, a, a huge big four seater saloon that can kind of cruise along at uh, 100 miles an hour all day, every day for, for weeks. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, large. Yeah. yeah, large. I'm sorry not to be more specific, but both of these cars do very different things. One can fit my family and the other one can't. <laughs> so, but which, if you had to choose one, why, why those two particular cars from your fabulous collection? I, I think 
those two cars because, you know, having owned those cars and seeing how they're made, I truly appreciate, you know, how things were done, you know, back then and the, the amount of time that was lavished on the construction of these things and the engineering of these vehicles, particularly, you know, well, both of those cars um, were, were engineered in, in, in really exceptional ways. I mean, the Bugatti um, Type 59, as you know, is, is one of the most quirky Grand Prix vehicles ever, ever, ever conceived. Um, the radially spoked wire wheels, for example, that are driven by, you know, a series of small cogs yeah. from the hub. I mean, are, are just, you know, practically impossible to get your head around. Um, but it all had to do with the amount of torque that, 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 was, that was wasted on normally cross-spoked tyres. Um, and the Hispano, on the other, you know, just as incredibly well-engineered. But, but in the, during the First World War, most aero engines were made by Hispano Suiza, you know, so they're, 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 there's an incredible sort of provenance and, and pedigree that, um, that, that both of these cars have. And, of course, at the time... Uh, you know, Bugatti had won, uh, you know, until until Alpha came along, uh, you know, the Grand Prix that, that, that there was. And the Type 59 won a number of Grand Prix, not as many as the Type 35, of course. Uh, and, and at that time, the Hispano Suiza was the greatest car, that the, the most beautifully engineered car that, that existed. And, and, you know, I think that the prices at the time reflected that, um, uh, so, so it's really the, the engineering and, and sure. the quirkiness and the and, the, and just the, the sheer um, oddness of, of, of the way these things were built. It's very, very hard. You know, it's completely anachronistic now. Yeah, but you were saying his aero engine, the Hispano, and obviously you've been influenced uh, very much by aero design and your uh, furniture and of course as I say you've designed Kelvin 40 in the space plane uh, which both look absolutely wonderful and going on to the question three then which is the destination and travel um travel has been very important to you since you were small I was reading that you were taken on family trips to Europe and Asia and your first experience of Japan and of course that's where you started your career proper as a designer in the 80s when you lived uh, in Tokyo, lots of uh, incredible designs, influences out there. And then, of course, you went to Paris and then you've, you're now based in London. So your designs influenced by road, air and space travel. And so really thinking now, where would you be taking the Hispano Suiza or the uh, or the Bugatti, obviously very different cars for very different destinations, I would have thought. Very, very, very different. And yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, uh, it's hard to think of doing a very, very long trip in the, in the Bugatti because it, was, it wasn't ever designed to do very long trips. I think the, the longest trip that it ever did in its life was, well, apart from something I did in it, but, uh, you know, they would be lucky to have done 100 miles at a time. Um, the Hispano, on the other hand, uh, you know, could literally go for, for, for days on end. I mean, it's just the most extraordinarily reliable thing. Um, but in terms of, of, of favourite drives, I think, uh, and, a, and, a, and a journey that I've done a number of times, it has been driving all the way to Greece, um, where we, we go most summers. Um, and it, it's a little, perhaps a little known uh, fact that Greece has some of the most wonderful roads, largely, I guess, paid for by the EU, <laughs> with not a lot of not a lot of not a lot of people on, particularly on some of the islands, actually, which have these extraordinary roads that are completely 
practically, um, you know, empty. But driving uh, in, in around the, uh, the mountains in the north of Greece, yeah. in, in Icarus, uh, down then through the mainland to the Peloponnese, I mean, they're just the most extraordinary um, place to go. And, of course, you can visit, you know, incredible sites like Delphi um, uh, on the way. Uh, and I've, I've taken my cars all the way to, to the small island that we, that we go to in the summer. And that's also a wonderful place to drive because, um, you know, the roads are empty and it's always very sunny. And are they still allowed driving? Of course, there are some Greek islands, aren't there, where uh, I think it's Hydra where your no cars are allowed. But you, you can take your you could take your Bugatti onto your island in Greece then if you. I, I can I can take them I can definitely take them to Greece. Sadly, I don't think it's much. E it's very easy for, for Greek people with classic cars because they're only allowed to drive for for one on one day of, of, of the month because I guess of emissions. But yeah. um, with a with a with a UK um, plate, uh, yeah. I'm I'm exempt from that rule, so I can just go where where I want. For, but it's, if you drove from uh, the UK, it's because it, I've looked into that drive going down through Albania and kind of round, uh, uh, you know, down that way, which would be a wonderful drive. Well, that's perfect. I mean, Greece is I'm a real Greekophile. And uh, uh, you have, of course, your mother has Greek ancestry. Well, is, I, I think I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of Australians, um, I have a I have a a little bit of Greek ancestry. My grandfather was from Greece and he, he emigrated to Australia, I guess it was in the 20s, so a very, very long time ago. But I think, uh, yeah, famously, uh, Melbourne has the, I think the third largest Greek population in the world. So, Right. Uh, a perfect destination. Well, that sounds uh, wonderful. And we'll, we'll get straight on to question four, which is the passenger you would take. You've travelled the world as a passenger and, of course, you've put yourself, when you've come to your designs, in the, I'm talking about obviously air travel, uh, in designing the A380 uh, for Qantas, the interior and your first class lounges and your, your seats for Qantas and other airlines and private jet interiors. So, you know, you've, you've put yourself in the, uh, in the shoes of a passenger many times. And I, I understand that you do a lot of your design, a lot of your design thought process is done on, on a plane, which isn't surprising as you, as you, as you do for your job, you travel the world. But if you're driving a car, who would you take? Who would be on the uh, trip uh, to Greece in the Hispano or the or the Bugatti? Well, one of the um, one of the people that I think I, I'd love to to travel with was a guy, uh, an old a, a racing driver, long 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 since deceased, by the name of Rene Dreyfus. So he was a famous driver in the in the twenties. He was a works driver for for Bugatti actually, right. and he drove my car, um, and I've oh, wow. done a lot of. <laughs> research on on Rene Dreyfus and he was just one of the most fantastic um, you know characters he, he ended up emigrating to the US after the war and he um, he owned a restaurant actually in New York which was you know strewn with pictures of, of, of his his sort of victories in in various old cars Bugattis and Alphas and uh, and whatever but and just an incredible character I mean there's a lot to, to read about him and um, yeah I just I've been fascinated by, particularly by drivers uh, during that period. You know, I mean, we, we think of racing drivers, you know, we, we, we think about racing drivers now and even in the 60s and 70s, and it was obviously an incredibly uh, dangerous, dangerous sport. In the, yeah. 20s, in the 20s, it was, it was <laughs> I think, potentially an order of magnitude more, more deadly. So anyone that survived that period um, 
was was, was off. Exactly. pretty pretty kind of notable just you know by default. So um, it would have to be Rene Dreyfus. Um, he was just a, a, a brilliant guy. You know, cigarette hanging out of his mouth. I'm sure he would have in the Bugatti the whole way down to down to Greece. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I've been thinking of yourself and what I've read about your uh, Mili Milia trips. So, uh, that's an amazing journey, that thousand miles. Um, I interviewed, before he sadly died, Sir Sterling Moss, and uh, he chose the Mercedes 722 that he took that has set the record and has still set the record for the Mili Milia back in the day. And uh, a few of my other interviewees, like Nick Mason, he chose uh, some of the uh, the greats of motor racing of the past. Um uh, Nuvolari, I think he shows. So great guy to have next to you in the Bugatti that he raced back in the days. We'll get on to question five. Always a tricky one for people. And it's, it's the one question, actually, which for yourself, I have no preconceived ideas to what you might choose, which is the tune. What if a Bugatti had a, uh, a radio <laughs> or a, a cassette or a CD player in? As maybe the Hispano would, but uh, is there one tune or if you'd like to choose an album you would take or would, could it start or end the trip or would be part of your ultimate road trip? That's a, it's a really tough question to think of a single tune. I've got, uh, you know, umpteen playlists that I, that I have for, for, for different places, not, not specifically for different places, but just, you know, a playlist that I cycle through. Yeah. Um, and I love listening to music in, in cars. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, the best place to listen to music, I think, quite, yeah. quite simply. Um, you know, in terms of the actual tracks, gosh, it's really, really difficult. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't the soundtrack to, uh, you know, the Claude Deluche uh, film Rendezvous, which is, of course, just the, the, the sound of a car right. <laughs> for, for, for a few minutes, which is pretty fantastic. I often listen to that. Um, but if it needed to be a real song, I guess it would have to be uh, Baba O'Reilly uh, by The Who. It's something that I mean, you know. Sadly, you know, it's become a little, a little hackneyed, you know, with the as a, the theme tune to various American sort of soap operas. But but uh, it's still the most wonderful track, and um, something that I I can't, I just can't help myself sort of singing along to, which is brilliant because my my voice is always drowned out by the noise of the car anyway. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the song classic that uh, we, we come back to uh, day after day, especially if we're doing sort of iconic road trips such as that. I, I, I recently, uh, a couple of days ago, I saw the BBC documentary Urban Spaceman uh, with your good self and uh, Alan Yensov, which was a wonderful uh, show. And I thought the soundtrack to that was very good with Boards of Canada and, uh, and Daruti Cotton. And I was wondering whether you chose the tunes because, you know, it's uh, juxtaposed against your your designs, I think, uh, made a wonderful soundtrack for that particular uh, documentary. But I digress. So obviously, you've chosen, <laughs> you've chosen The Who for your ultimate road trip, which sounds fabulous down to Greece, in your Bugatti, type... 59. The type 59. Um, yeah. Although, you know, thinking about it now, I mean, maybe maybe if it's a road trip with the family, it would have to be the, the Hispano. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I could actually listen to music in that thing because it's incredibly, incredibly silent. You can barely hear the engine. So there you go. I've just, I've just narrowed that one down. Well, Mark Newson, thanks again for your time today on the Ultimate Road Trip podcast. It's been really fascinating to uh, hear about your designs and, uh, and of course, your Ultimate Road Trip. It's a real pleasure to talk to you and looking forward to your future designs. It's going to be really fascinating 
uh, to see what you come up with next. And uh, we're keen to watch the evolving Mark Newson design story, if I can call it that. So, Mark Newson, thanks again yeah. for your time. Uh, it's really, really a pleasure, James. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.